Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. This morning's sermon is a continuation in the sermon series as we move towards Easter that's entitled Resurrection from Death to Life. Now, this morning's sermon is going to focus again on the passages of Scripture that talk to us about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I utilized that story last week and am using it again this week as well. In order for this week to make sense, there's a few things that we need to kind of pull back into this Sunday from last Sunday. The first is this, is that Jesus has seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. The I am am statements are actually taken from when Moses meets God at the burning bush And Moses is called by God to see Israel move out of bondage and captivity and slavery in Egypt towards the promised land. When Moses encounters this God in the burning bush, he asks this question, who am I going to say is sending me? And God simply says, tell everyone that I am is sending you. By the way, in Greek, it's ego ami. It's I am. And so what Jesus does throughout the book of John He takes that I am statement and he points to himself. All of Israel knows that the I am statement is reserved for God and God alone. So when Jesus begins to say I am and then points to himself, you could understand why people were getting concerned. In just a few minutes, we're going to read from John 11, just like we did last week with the raising of Lazarus. But in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now remember again, the I am statement is reserved for God and God alone. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And after he explains what that means, the people pick up stones to kill him. What's important to know is that was the area in which Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. So John chapter 10 tells us that Jesus was in extreme danger. The people of that area were going to make a move to kill him, and so he had to flee to preserve his life. What John's gospel wants us to understand is that when Jesus goes to where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus lives, It's literally the beginning of the end. The disciples know this. When Jesus in John chapter 11 tells his disciples, we're going to help Lazarus, we're going to go make a difference. John 11, 8 says this, but Rabbi, they said, this is the disciples, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Not only this, but in John 11, 16, it says, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, by the way, Didymus means twin. So Thomas, doubting Thomas, was a twin. He says and said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You see, Thomas wasn't always filled with doubt. 
Here, he looks at the other disciples and goes, yep, if we go back to where Lazarus is from, we will definitely die. And he commits to going and dying with Jesus. What the Gospel of John wants us to know is that Jesus loved Lazarus. We talked about that last week. But the Gospel also wants us to know that when Jesus makes the decision to go where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live, that he knows it's the beginning of his march to lose his life. When I think about that, I think about what John records Jesus said. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus said, no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's no greater love than that. I want to explain what that means What Jesus is not talking about is heroism. It's not what he's talking about. Heroism is when you see someone in distress and you make a knee-jerk reaction to go and relieve them from that stress, at times putting your life on the line. For instance, here's an example. Someone is in a lake and they're in the midst of drowning, so someone runs and dives in and goes out there to save them. That's an act of heroism. But what Jesus is talking about is very different than that, and I want to explain why. Any one of you know that if you've ever had a water safety course, that if someone is drowning and you swim out to help them, what's the number one thing you have to worry about? Is that someone who's drowning will grab a hold of you and you both drown. That's exactly what happens to Jesus. Jesus, not out of an act of heroism, but totally understanding what he's moving towards, he steps into humanity who is drowning in sin. And Jesus does that out of love and commitment and compassion. And he steps into the human race and he reaches out to save. And when he does, the same sin and the same death and the same evil that grabbed the human race, now wraps itself around him and pulls him under too. So when Jesus talks about no greater love than laying down your life for your friend, that's what Jesus is referencing. But the other thing we have to know before we move towards our reading is just a few other things. First of all, there are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. There's also seven miraculous signs. And in the Jewish world, the number seven is the number of wholeness or completion. So Jesus has seven I am statements. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, that's the fifth. But when it comes to the seven miraculous signs or the seven miracles that Jesus does, and the Gospel of John always tells you they are signs, they're pointing to something, that the raising of Lazarus is the seventh. It's the final sign. Now, when it comes to the I am statements, John chapter 11, verse 26 tells us this. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection in the life. I want you to hear that. He says, I am the resurrection in the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
The amazing thing is Martha believes. She believes. John eleven twenty seven 27 tells us, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And what we need to know is that Martha is the first person ever to place their faith in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Why is that important? It's because a woman was the first one to put her faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Well, Jesus meets Martha first. She's the sister that came out to meet him before he gets into their village. And that's where he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and she believes. But what happens now is Jesus steps deeper into the story. And we pick up our story where he encounters Mary, Martha's sister, the other sister of Lazarus. And we pick up our reading in John 11, verses 32 through 48. Let's read together. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. By the way, that's exactly what Martha had said. Reading on, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. By the way, that's the shortest verse in the Newer Testament. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. If you're ever in a memory verse competition, that's the one you want to pick. Two words. Jesus wept. Reading on, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Remember, Jesus loves Lazarus. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Next heading, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord... Martha, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been dead for four days. I love the way the King James puts that. The King James Version says this, Lord, he stinketh. Don't you love that? Lord, he stinketh. Now what's happening here? What's happening is extremely cultural and it's important we get it because the same thing happens to Jesus. In the ancient culture in Israel, and you'll find them to this day, I've been to Israel many times, and when you go there, you'll see these tombs in large cemeteries, sometimes dug into the sides of hills. Sometimes they're made out of stone. But what you'll discover is when you're in Israel, you'll see an entrance dug into the side of a cliff, and that is the tomb in which people are laid. The picture you're going to see now is of the garden tomb in Jerusalem where people believe that Jesus was buried. What you'll notice about the garden tombs, and you'll notice this about all these tombs in Israel, is there's a large door, but there's also windows so that air can travel in and out. When you step inside the tomb, you'll always see the following. This, by the way, is a picture of inside the garden tomb where many believe Jesus was laid. 
Inside that garden tomb, what you'll discover is hewn out of sheer rock is sort of a bench on which the body would be laid. That's where Lazarus was laid. Now, what happened in ancient culture, it happened to Jesus, it happened to Lazarus, is that when someone dies, the family gathers together, they wash the body very lovingly, and then they take spices and they smear this spice paste all over the body. Then they wrap, they lovingly wrap the body in burial clothes, and then that body is moved into the tomb and it's placed on the slab. What the family will then do is they'll wait one year from the day in which the body was entombed. On that day, all of the loved ones regather, they go inside the tomb, and they pick up the bones of the deceased and they place them in a box that's called an ossuary. This is a picture of an ossuary. And so then the slab then is, is cleaned off and the slab is left open for the next loved one that will be deceased. They too will be covered in spices. They'll get wrapped in burial cloths and they'll be laid on that slab. And a year later, the family will come back and do the same. Many of the tombs that you see in Israel are filled with ossuaries, some of the larger family tombs. This is exactly what has happened to Lazarus. He's been covered in spice, he's been wrapped in burial clothes, and it's now day four. Martha says, by now, he smells. Now we pick up our reading. The text goes on to say, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And then we have a plot to kill Jesus. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the 71 ruling men of the Jewish faith in Jerusalem. They called that council together. And they go on and it says, what are we accomplishing? They asked, here is this man performing many signs. They knew that Jesus' miracles were intentional. He is performing many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And then we drop to John eleven fifty three. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Again, there are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. The one that we are focusing on is the one where Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And again, there are seven miracles in the Gospel of John. And this one that we just read about 
is the seventh. It's the one that speaks about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. Now, how do we put feet to our faith with the story that we've just read? How do we go about this? First of all, the first feet to our faith that we see in this story is when Jesus looks at Lazarus and he commands him, Lazarus, come out. And he does. And the gospel tells us it's awkward. Lazarus is still wrapped in all of the burial cloth. The way I've always seen this, the way I've always pictured it, involves a game that we used to play when I was a kid. Have any of you ever been in a sack race? Raise your hand, admit it. So I grew up in farm country, Wisconsin, and we would have these gym classes that involved several athletic events. Here's what they were. The three-legged race. Who knows what the three-legged race is, right? It's really inexpensive. It's kind of mean. But you tie the right leg and the left leg together of two people, and then you have to race each other. There was that race. There was what was called the wheelbarrow race. How many of you know what that is? It's where someone picks up someone else's ankles, and the guy running just runs over them and uses them to plow and mow the lawn. So that's the second race. The other race that we did was called the sack race. And so what you did was you'd get inside a feed sack. We had a lot of those on our farm and every kid had one in the school. And so the gym teacher would bring them out. By the way, this is a coffee bean sack from Shenandoah Joe's. They will sell you one for a dollar and 10 cents. That's where I bought this yesterday. So just so you know, little shout out for Shen Joe's, right? So here's kind of how I picture um, Lazarus coming out of the tomb. Why don't you picture this? In our school, we had the sack race, but it had a unique twist. It was called the sack race demolition derby. So what the boys would do is we would put these on, and it wasn't really a race, it was called the last man standing. And so you'd get in this sack and you'd just start slamming into everyone, and the last guy standing won. And then we'd go to what was called the egg race. Do you know what the egg race is? Where you take a spoon and an egg and you race. And then the last one was the egg toss. You know what that is? You kind of get in the line, you back up and you throw the egg and the farther you get apart and whoever can throw it the farthest wins. And they get to take the egg and throw it as hard as they can at anyone they want. That was the kind of the end of our gym class. Now, here's sack race. In this sack race, what you have is you've got Lazarus in the tomb. And Jesus says, take away the stone. Then he makes this announcement. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. I want you to notice that it's a command, not a prayer. He already prayed. Now he's telling Lazarus, here's what you need to do. And Lazarus, who Martha said already stinketh, what he does is he comes out. And he stands in front of Jesus. When he stands in front of the Jesus, here's I picture it, that his head wrap has one little sliver open. And he's looking out with one eye. And he's jumped up to Jesus. And he stands in front of Christ. And here he is, hopping around. Just like that. Now in this, here's what I want you to picture. This is what's called divine drama. The divine drama is a hometown theater. 
And the hometown theater is taking place in the cemetery of Bethany. There's a lot of graves there. The cemetery is the focal point of death and grief and brokenness and dysfunction and disease and it's all the stuff you don't want. And in the middle of that, God plays out a divine drama. He plays out a theater in the cemetery and the backdrop for that play is the tomb in which Lazarus had been placed. And now he's standing in front of the tomb and Jesus is right in front of him. And the Gospel of John tells us there are two responses that happen. Number one, we already read it. The first response is that many believed in Jesus. They watched Lazarus come out of the tomb, stand in front of Jesus. And instead of stinking, he had gone from death to life. They couldn't believe it. And here he is standing in front of Jesus. They heard Jesus pray. They heard Jesus command him to come out of the tomb. And Lazarus comes hopping out of the tomb, stands in front of Jesus. And it says, when many in the crowd saw this, they believed in Jesus just like Martha did. They believed he was the resurrection and the life. They believed that in Jesus and in Jesus alone, you can go from death to life this side of heaven. You can go from death to life. And it stuns them. But the gospel also tells us that there were others too in the crowd. And those others in the crowd, after they saw Lazarus kind of hopping around, they looked at Lazarus, they looked at what happened. And the Bible says they head to Jerusalem and they tell the Pharisees about what Jesus has done. And the Pharisees go to the chief priests and the chief priests call together the Sanhedrin, the 71 ruling elders. And they get together and they make this plan. They say, if he keeps doing these type of signs, everyone in Israel is going to believe in him, so we need to kill him. We need to execute him. So what is John saying? John is saying this. The first group believed that in Jesus there's life. The second group went after more death. They went deeper into death. Instead of believing in Christ, they deny what they're seeing and they actually go and become part of a plot to make death continue to go. They choose, we need to kill him. We need to execute him and death grows. And here's what I believe John wants all of us to know is that when we see Lazarus come out of the tomb, it's a divine drama, it's hometown theater. And there in the cemetery, we stand in front of that tomb too. And when we talk about putting feet to our faith, we have to determine, what am I gonna do with Jesus? What am I gonna do with him? But what's stunning is many people believe. They know Lazarus was dead. They saw him die. They saw him get wrapped in spices and wrapped in claws, lying in the tomb. They saw it. They were there when the stone was rolled over the tomb. They know he was dead. Now he lives. Now the interesting thing, though, about this story is that when you think about this story and you think about the idea of two different groups of people, you got those who believe and those who pursue more death. 
What's amazing in this story, though, is that in any theater or in any drama, there's something that's missing, and it's intentional. And what's missing is, is when Lazarus comes out of the tomb and he goes from death to life, and he steps out of his burlap and he stands there as people unwrap him. What the gospel has silent screams for our attention. The silence is deafening. And it's this. When he steps out and he is unwrapped and it's truly Lazarus, no one says a word. Don't you think there ought to be cheering? Don't you think the gospel right there should record that Martha runs over to Jesus and hugs him and says, Jesus, I knew you could do this. Thank you. You brought my brother from death to life. Thank you. Mary, thrilled, bowing at his feet again and declaring, you're the resurrection and the life. Nothing. The most dramatic divine drama that you read in the book of John has happened and it's silent. The gospel is silent about what anyone says and I humbly believe I know exactly why. Here's why. The gospel wants to hear what you say. What do you say when you stand in front of the tomb from which Jesus has brought someone from death to life? In the end, it's not about what Mary or Martha has to say. It's about what you say. What do I say when I stand in front of that tomb? What do I say when I watch Lazarus being unraveled? What do I say? That's what God wants to hear. He wants to know what you say. Now, the other part of the story that is uniquely silent, and it's so silent that it screams for our attention. It's the fact that in all of the gospel, Lazarus never says a word. Lazarus never speaks. Lazarus is absolutely quiet. But again, I think that the question is, it's not about what Lazarus would have said, it's about what you say that matters. But there's an interesting thing to take note of Lazarus, and that is, Lazarus never says anything verbally, but his life speaks. It's the fact that he's gone from death to life that speaks. John 12, 9 through 11 tells us this. Jesus is still there in Bethany with Mary and Martha. And it says, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and they came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made, made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. You see, because Lazarus had gone from death to life, his life was what was speaking. His life was proof that Jesus can transform you from death to life. And when we look at this story, we have a decision to make. For every woman and every man in this sanctuary or at home watching online, 
Every woman and man has a decision to make. I too am called to stand in front of the tomb. I'm called into the divine drama. The question is, what do you say? What do you say? Would you stand with me? As we stand together, I want us to take just a quick moment. And before we worship, I want us to close our eyes in God's presence. Here you are in the garden tomb. You're there with Lazarus standing in front of Jesus. He's hopped out of the tomb. Some people believed. They put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. But others went and plotted more death. Would you stand in front of that tomb with Jesus and Lazarus? And maybe you've never ever put your faith, hope, and trust in Christ. Maybe you've never stood here before and considered Jesus as being the resurrection and the life. But as you now stand, And maybe you've come to the point in your life where you know that it's time to go from death to life. It's time to turn to Jesus and declare over your own life that he is your resurrection and he is your life. As you stand there now, a prayer of accepting Jesus would go something like this. I'll pray the prayer and you can just repeat it after me if the Spirit's drawing you to make this decision this morning. The prayer would go something like this. Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about who you are. But what I do know is that I believe. I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Jesus, I pray that you would take me from my tomb, that you would take me from my death, that you would take me from my sin and my grave and that you would transform me and bring resurrection life into my heart and into my life. Jesus, receive me as just as I am, but transform me into what you want me to be through this new life that is found in you. And Jesus, I pray this and I believe for this now in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.